Let's hear God's word from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 1. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Gracious Lord God, as we have read these few words here, we recognize the depth of meaning and the height of glory that is contained in them. And so, Lord, we pray today for your help that we might see, understand these things accurately, that we might believe them faithfully. And, O Lord, that they would come to our hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about in us great joy as we consider what wonderful blessings we have been given in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray these things. Amen. Paul begins the main part of his letter here by blessing God, which we've already talked about a little bit before. This is an act of worship. Paul is expressing praise to God as he goes through and explains what God has done. And it's important that we should also approach these words from a standpoint of worship. The outcome of what Paul says here is not arguments, it's not pride, it's not contention, The real outcome, if we've understood what is happening here, is worship. And so as we begin to explore these words, as we begin to try to climb these mountaintops of glorious truth that Paul has laid down for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we ought to expect that there will be some things that go beyond us. There will be some things where we have a hard time understanding because this is talking about what God has done and what God has done in eternity. Well, God is greater than we are. And before some great mysteries, we just adore with joy. But we should not be put off by potential difficulties in understanding. This is something that moved Paul to worship. This is something that sustained his heart in all the ups and downs and difficulties of his ministry. So this is something that if we can even get a dim view of it, it will serve for our spiritual strengthening. Now, what Paul is doing here is a little bit complicated. He's using words we don't use every day. He's stringing them together where you have a lot of compound, complex sentences where there's relative clauses, where he circles back around and says something else a few words down the line. And so in order to try to make things simple, or as simple as possible, I should say, what we're really going to do this morning is just to ask and hopefully to answer six simple questions. Now, 
We used to be taught these things as children. I don't know if kids today still get taught these, but for instance, when I was growing up, we had a book and there was a silly little rhyme in that book that taught you how to be an analytical thinker. Now the rhyme didn't say that's what it was doing, but that's what it was doing. And the little rhyme went like this. I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and where and when and how and why and who. Now, those are not usually the order in which we ask those questions, and that's not the order in which we'll ask them this morning. They're in that order for the sake of the rhyme. But just so the kids are aware, we will have a quiz after the service about the rhyme. So let me say it one more time just to give you a fighting chance. I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and where and when and how and why and who. You know what those are. Those are questions. And they're easy to remember questions because except for how, they all start with W. Now, if there's anything that you're reading, if you can answer those six questions, that's a pretty good sign that you understood what you were reading. And if you want to tell somebody about something, if you can tell them who, what, where, when, why, and how, you have given them a very clear and very easy to understand story about whatever happened at school or when you were at the park or wherever things were going on. So it would be very good for all, for everybody, but it would be very good for the kids to start analyzing everything in terms of who, what, where, when, why, and how. There was also a Canadian cartoon, Richard Scarry's Busy Town, or Busy Town Mysteries, where the main character, Huckle, would solve mysteries by asking those questions. And if you think about it, a detective, when they're trying to figure out who committed a crime, most of the time they don't know who. But boy, if they can figure out what, where, when, if they can figure out why and how, they've really narrowed down who it could be. And so a lot of times if they can answer those first five questions, then they can also answer the who question. So these are very useful analytical tools that we should always have, that we should always be using. And so we're going to use those analytical tools on Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 this morning. And we're going to start with who. Who is being talked about? Who does the things that are described here? Well, how does Paul begin? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who are we talking about? We are talking about God the Father. Everything that he says in these verses is telling us that God the Father has done something. So who is God the Father? What is the next question? And to what we can give three answers. Well, if we're including verse three, we could give four answers. But if we're only including verses four through six, we could give three answers. So let's give all four answers. Who? God the Father. What has God the Father done? He has blessed us. That's from verse three. Now look at verse four. He chose us. So God has blessed us. God has chosen us. Look at verse five. Having predestined, God has predestined us to adoption. 
And then look at the end of verse 6. He made us accepted in the beloved. So who is God the Father? What is what he has done? He has blessed us. He has chosen us. He has predestined us. He has made us accepted. So when verse 3 says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, what happens next then is that Paul starts to tell us about some of those spiritual blessings that we've been blessed with. And the first one he says is that God chose us. The next one is that God predestined us. And the last one is that God made us accepted in the beloved. So let's talk about that for just a moment here. God chose us. Now, there's only so much that we can say about this because this is a little bit mysterious. We'll talk about that more when we come to the why question. But here's the bottom line. This is the Bible's teaching. God has chosen. And God has chosen independently of what we do or what we say. In other words, we don't give God a reason to choose us God chooses us before there are any such reasons, before any reason could enter in. If you think about it, what we've actually given God reason to do is we've given God reasons to reject us. We've given God reasons to ignore us. We've given God reasons to leave us alone. We have not given God any reasons to choose us. And yet what a wonderful thing. What an amazing mystery. Paul says, God chose us. We might not have been expecting that, but that's our glorious, that's our gracious, that's our good God. He individually chooses particular people to receive every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, when Paul says that God has chosen us, and he also says that God predestined us, we might wonder, what is the difference Well, it's not a very big difference, and it's not that you always have to use these exactly with the right way. When you talk about choosing or election, when you talk about predestination, if you don't distinguish them exactly right, it's not really a big deal because they kind of overlap substantially. But if you wanted to say, well, what is the difference? You could say this, choice or election is of persons. Predestination is of outcomes or of Destination. It's in the word, right? Predestination. In other words, God chooses you and he chooses you to come to a particular end, to reach a certain goal. The certain goal is to be adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So God chose you and he destined you. He gave you an outcome you're going to reach. That outcome is adoption. Now, in one sense, we already enjoy adoption. We have already been given the right to be called the children of God. We are included in God's family now, but there is something more to come. There's the public proclamation. There's the full manifestation of the truth of our adoption, which will come with the resurrection, according to Paul again, in Romans chapter 8. So right now, in principle, we are God's children. We do belong to him. 
But there's a further glory. There's a perfection of that state that is still approaching. And you can see that if you just look at the choice that God has made of us. God has chosen us that we should be holy and without blame before him. Now, in principle, we are holy. God has set us apart. And God does not choose to blame us. He chooses to be very gracious, very forgiving. He passes over our sins. But right now today, are you still blameworthy? Could you say today, I am blameless in my thoughts, in my speech, in my behavior? Well, if you think you can say that right now, you need to be a little bit more realistic. You need to go look at yourself in the mirror of God's word for a few minutes and realize, yeah, I'm not quite without blame yet. Now, God has chosen me for that. That is where God will take me, but we're still in process. We haven't reached the goal. And that's true with regard to the blamelessness, and that's true with regard to the adoption. We are God's children, but that hasn't been publicly manifested yet in the way that it will be. But God has made us accepted in the beloved. He has chosen us to holiness. He has predestined us to adoption, and he has made us accepted. Now, that again is not a way of speech, an expression that we use very much, so we might not be quite sure what it means. What it means is that instead of turning his back on you, instead of rejecting you, instead of saying, I cannot be in fellowship with you, which God would have every right to do. Instead, God says, welcome. You're received. You're brought in. You're not kept outside. You're brought into the house. You're not left standing in the corner. You're given a seat at God's table. You are welcomed. So if you wanted to swap out the word accepted for the word welcomed, you could do that and get a good idea of the meaning. God the Father then has chosen us. He has predestined us. He has made us accepted. Do you see why Paul is worshiping? Do you see why Paul calls these spiritual blessings? This doesn't have anything to do with how much money I make or how healthy I am. This could all be true of me if I were broke and in the hospital. These are not blessings that depend on my circumstances. But these are blessings that absolutely should bring us to worship God. Now, we can heighten the glory. We can demonstrate how amazing this is a little bit more if we move on to our next question. We've gone through who and what. What about where? That's the next one on our list. Where did God do these things? Well, verse 3 tells you, in heavenly places. We could understand that as meaning that they are blessings with a heavenly character. We could understand that as, meanings that as meaning that they are blessings that come from God's throne room. We could understand that as meaning that they are blessings that, in effect, carry us up into heaven. There's a lot of different nuances that people will discern in this particular phrase. But notice that's not the only 
expression here that answers the question where. Where in the heavenlies, but also look at the end of verse four. We've been chosen that we should be holy and without blame before him. Now that's a way of saying in God's presence. And that emphasizes again what we've been saying. When God chooses us, when God predestines us, when God makes us accepted, he doesn't keep us at arm's length. He brings us into his very presence. That's why we've been chosen. And that's why he chooses us for holiness. We're not going to be able to be in his presence without holiness. That's why he has to accept us. He has to make us accepted because that's not how we started out. That wasn't our default condition as we're born as sinners into this world. God has to do something for that to happen. He has to adopt us because we're not his children by nature. But he brings us in, in this wonderful grace to his very presence. And we stand in his presence, not ashamed, not awkward and embarrassed, but we stand there humble, recognizing we don't deserve it, but also joyful because God has made us to be holy and without blame. God has perfected us in love. There at the end of verse four, where it says, holy and without blame before him in love. Some people will stop the sentence or they'll put a comma after in love and they say, without blame in love? Some people will say, without blame before him, in love having predestined us. I think both are true. Why did God predestine us? Well, out of love. And what is the perfection of our holiness? When can we truly say that God has rendered us blameless when our love has been made perfect? Absolutely at that point. Because you remember faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of them is love. That is the perfection of holiness when we love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind and our neighbor as ourselves. That's what God has chosen us for. That's what God has predestined us for. And the first step in that is making us accepted in the beloved and continuing to work in us on that basis. But the continuing work, Paul will talk about that a lot more later on. So we've dealt with who, what, where. The next question is when. When did God do this? Well, notice again, verse four. He chose us in in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Well, that means before creation. Now, we should understand that time is part of, of creation. Apart from creation, there is no such thing as time. So when it says before the foundation of the world, really the word before is, it's used because we don't have any better expression, not because it's technically so very accurate. But what it's really getting at then, if, if you say before time itself, what is that? Well, that's in eternity. So when did God choose you? From eternity, there was never a time when God had not chosen you. There was never a time when God had not predestined you. Now, that makes it very clear that then this is not based on us 
This is before you existed. This is before your grandpa existed. This is before Adam existed. This is before time and space existed. When did God do these things? Well, he chose us. He predestined us before the foundation of the world. There are other blessings that come to us at a particular moment in time. Paul knows that, and he'll get to some of them later on. But these blessings of election and predestination, they're from before time itself. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it amazing? Before God ever made the world, he already had you in his heart. He had already chosen that you would be holy and without blame before him in love. He had already, so to speak, written your name down on the list of who will be his adopted children. Of course Paul is worshiping. When you look at it in that light, how could you not worship a God whose love is eternal, infinite? and unchanging like himself. Of course, God's love is not going to change. Of course, God's plan is not going to change. He set it up before the foundation of the world. But we still have two questions, so we need to keep moving. The next question is why? Now, the kids probably already know this, but there's two ways to answer a why question. If your mom or your dad says, why did you do that? They might mean What made you want to do that? What was your motive? They might also mean, what did you think you were going to accomplish? What goal, what purpose did you have in mind? Well, we can answer both forms of the why question from Ephesians chapter one. Why did God choose us? Why did God predestine us? Why did God make us accepted in the beloved? Well, in terms of his motive, we come back to his will. In love, he predestined us. He chose us because he did. There is no higher answer. God's will has no cause. We can never say that God's will was caused by something else, something outside of him. He says that in the book of Deuteronomy. He says to the Israelites, I loved you and chose you, not because you were greater, more in number than other peoples, because you were the least of all peoples, but because I loved you. So if you put those two things together, God says to the Israelites, I loved you because I loved you. Boom, there you go. He chose you because he chose you. He predestined you because he predestined you. He made you accepted in the beloved because he chose to. That's the bottom line. That's the motive. You can't get any deeper. You can't get any higher than the will of God. There's nothing behind it because God's will is God himself choosing, deciding, determining what to do. But there's also the other thing that we can mean when we ask the why question. What was God's goal? What was God's purpose? Well, look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why did God do these things? To show his grace, to show that his grace is glorious beyond everything that we can say, beyond everything that we can think, and in that way to draw us to praise him, to recognize that glory. God's goal is fulfilled when we join our hearts and voices with Paul and say, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's for the praise of the glory of his grace. Now, there's a practical application there. If God's purpose is his own glory, is the glory of his grace, as Paul says here, what should our purpose be? Why are we alive? What purpose do we serve? What is the meaning of life? Here's a very simple answer, but very profound. We live for the glory of God. What good are we? Is there any reason for us to be here in this world? Is there any reason for us to be alive? Yes, there is. The praise of the glory of his grace. You've been chosen. You've been predestined. You've been made accepted. Your life is a testament to the glory of God's grace. Your life shows what kind of a God he is. That's why God did all of this. That is enough to give meaning and purpose and value and direction to your lives. Of course, it's also a calling to us. Don't waste your life. Don't squander what God made you to be. Don't throw away these wonderful spiritual blessings living for some minor goal, living for something less than the praise of the glory of God's grace. What a waste of a life to live for pleasure, to live for fun, to live for recreation, even to live for family, even to live for work. Oh, compared to the praise of the glory of God's grace, those are not dignified and suitable purposes for human beings. Of course, work. Of course, love your family. Of course, enjoy the good things God gives. But engage in all of that to the praise of the glory of God's grace. That's the real purpose. That's our chief end, as our Presbyterian friends would say. Well, we still have one more question. We've gone through who, we've gone through what, where, when, why. The last question doesn't start with a W. It starts with an H. How? How did God do this? Now, there are questions about how God did this that we can't answer there beyond our pay grade. They would require us to get inside the mind of God in a way that we can't. But we can offer a couple of answers to the how question. For instance, how did God make us accepted? Well, at the end of verse 6, it says it, doesn't it? In the beloved. How did God choose us? Well, look at verse 4. He chose us in him. The reference is to in Christ. How does God adopt us as sons to himself? It says it right there. By Jesus Christ. How does God the Father do all of these wonderful things for us in or by Jesus Christ? Now, when it says that we're chosen in Christ, it doesn't mean that Christ is the reason that God chose us. We've already talked about that. The reason is God's will. But it does mean that Christ is the first one chosen. He's the head of all who are chosen, as we were chosen to be made accepted in him, he was chosen to be our mediator and redeemer. He was chosen to be the captain of our salvation. It does mean that all of these spiritual blessings come to us only in Christ, only in union 
to Christ. Everything that Paul is saying is true of everybody who belongs to Christ, everybody who's joined to him. And it's not true of anybody who is not in union to Christ. So how does God carry out these purposes in Christ? That's the agency. That's the agent, you could even say, that God uses to make us holy and blameless before him in love, to cause us to have the character, the position, the standing, but also the character, the quality of sons. That happens through Christ. How does God accept us? You think about who we are. You think about how sinful we are from our conception. You think about all the ways we've gone astray. How in the world does God ever welcome us into his presence, into his household? How does he give us a seat at his table? In the beloved one. That's another way to speak about Jesus. You remember from heaven, God the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when you see the beloved, that is talking about Jesus. Because he stands for us, because we're joined to him. And so his righteousness, his holiness, his position as God's son, those things become ours in Christ. That's the how. If you don't know about Jesus, none of this makes any sense because there's no conceivable way that God could do this for people like we are until you get to Jesus, until you see who he is and what he's done. And now it all makes sense. So that's the bottom line. That's the basic question. Are you in union with Christ? Do you belong to Jesus? Then worship God because all of this is true of you. And if the answer to that is no, then come to Jesus today. Turn to him in prayer and just ask him to incorporate you, to include you in his body, to stand for you, to be your representative and your mediator. Amen.